This is restless and it's still Reformation Day. Pastor Michael, welcome back to our Reformation Day extravaganza, two-part, two years of Restless celebration. I am your host. It's been two years of doing a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed as we dive into Reformed theology and celebrate Reformation Day. Pastor Michael, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Two years, man, two years, and shout out to you guys who are listening. Seriously, this has been awesome. Uh, it really has. Like, uh, you know, shout out to... Um, everybody on the Patreon that we get to interact with uh, literally every day, right? I mean, it's it, this is basically what uh, what I do now on my phone is I just, uh, you know, keep looking down to see all of the conversation going on on our Patreon. And it's not even us running it all the time. This is what I love about it is uh, like I've just benefited from being a part of this group and hearing from people. And the rest of you, even if you're not on the Patreon, hey, like it's been so good to uh, interact with lots of you over the last two years. And um, quite honestly, like I'm, I'm seriously thankful. Um, we've been, you know, just really uh, grateful for uh, all of you for listening and for uh, sharing the show and, and reviewing it and doing all those things that you do. And we're so thankful that we're doing a giveaway right at the start. We're starting the show, our first show for the new year, our new year, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, technically not the new year yet but it's our new year it's the it's, it's the new fiscal year for restless we start right. the restless year on reformation day yes <laughs> yes we do so uh if you listen to the first reformation day episode uh you know that we came right to the end of the episode and we we're ready to do a giveaway and th for us that's right now <laughs> for us the that's end right. of that episode was right now and so we're starting off with a giveaway uh, what I have here is a, a, just a giant stickers giveaway. I have a whole bunch of Restless stickers. And uh, if you haven't listened to the first Reformation Day episode, go back and listen to that first because we're literally just carrying on from that. Uh, but we've been doing giveaways every 15 minutes and 17 seconds. And most of these giveaways have something, actually all of them will have something that is no longer available uh, as far as restless swag. So um, if you are going to win this particular basket of goodies, um, but though, you know, just asterisk, this will not appear in a basket. It will just be in some kind of bubble mailer probably. Um, it's just a bunch of stickers. Uh, some of them are stickers that literally don't exist anymore. Like maybe two of them or three of them were made ever. And they're not a thing anymore. And so uh, we just decided not to make certain kinds of stickers, but we got prototypes and we're going to give those to you. So you'll have something that no one else has. And so the person that's going to win this particular uh, basket, asterisk, not actual basket of stickers is going to be the, the first person to listen to the show right now and tag us on social media with some kind of post about what you have learned from Restless in the last two years. We've been doing this two years now. Share share something about what you've learned from the show, what you've enjoyed about the show, maybe one of your favorite stories from the show, and tag us in it so that we see it and make sure to include something like, give me those stickers, because <laughs> otherwise we might not remember that that's why you're tagging us in something. Mm -hmm. And so um, I would... Um... 
yeah, I would also, as we begin, I'd like to shout out our friend at Epic Church who made that remix of the Genevan Psalter setting of Psalm 100, which we agree with Presbycast. I really think we should just push to make that Psalm 100 psalm setting our Presbyterian Reformation Day song. We don't have to give up a mighty fortress is our God, but Psalm 100 to that tune uh, is so great. And I think we'll go out, I'll find a, I'll find an actual choral version of it. So Pastor Michael, this part might be even more overstuffed with awesome content than the last one, because Pastor Michael, there's nothing I want more than to end this episode with us reacting to um, Hans Feeney of Lutheran, Lutheran Satire's video about the other reformers other than Luther. Because I think I think it's what you need tonight. I think it's what our our listeners need. And and watching you react to it, it's a little bit of what I need. And so it's what we all need. <laughs> we got to get Hans um, on sometime. That would be a blast. Oh man, we've had we've had an LCMS pastor on before. So um, we're a very eclectic show. I think that it'd be huh. fun to get him on here sometime. Hans, we'd love to have you on. We are two sacramentarians who would have a whole lot of fun talking to you. So, but Pastor Michael, so there's one thing we ended that we were going to talk the show off. So let's start this time with some substance. We'll get into some feedback. I'm going to basically pick, um, we're going to pick out a few things. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do another thing on the Battle Hymn of the Republic because that's a controversy that will never die. Never let it die. <laughs> uh, we'll read a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about of course, Calvinism. Um, and so we're going to, we are going to pull from an email and then we are going to pull from a YouTube comment that was appalled at our defense of Calvinism against Greg Laurie. So here we go. So these are the kinds of things you get to look forward to in this awesome overstuffed episode of our Reformation Day celebration. So Pastor Michael, John MacArthur is pretty famous for saying that the evangelical church today is more in need of reform than the 16th century Roman Catholic Church was. A bold, a bold, a bold statement from a, a bold 80-year-old man. Um, yay, nay, or nuance, Pastor Michael. What do you think? Do you do you think? Uh, Read me the nay? line again. Read me the line again so I know for sure what I'm, so what I think that I, I heard. I, I was trying to find him saying this on video and I couldn't. So we're just, I'm gonna, I'll read it to you. And so if this doesn't perfectly, um, if this doesn't, uh, if this doesn't get it quite right, then, you know, everyone blame me. Uh, don't blame him. Um, and I do believe he was speaking in the context of worship, but he was saying the evangelical church today is more in need of reform than it, than the Roman church was in the 16th century. Yay, mayor nuance. I maybe need some time to work through it to decide if I'm a full yay or if I have to go nuance. It seems to me uh, to be correct. And then maybe wow. as I talk, maybe I'll work myself into nuance. Um, so one of the first things that, you know, just uh, comes to mind is the the fact that so much of the Reformation, so so much of what the Reformers saw themselves as doing was looking back and thinking, man, the church has taken a really horrible turn in the somewhat recent history, right? Like yes. they didn't see themselves as, hey, uh, we need to get back to the days of the apostles because nothing has been good since that time, right? Or even like, 
they didn't like even though uh you know uh there was a strong view against the papacy uh my understanding anyway and you can correct me if i'm wrong because you you are much more of a you know uh church historian than i um my understanding and in my reading seems to me that uh there was a strong disdain of the papacy, but even the fact that the papacy had arisen um, maybe earlier than say a hundred years or so before the reformation, um, that was not like a, Oh, the moment that, you know, uh, the Bishop of Rome started to claim some kind of supremacy, it was over. Right. Like, and, and we have to go back to that point. uh, And right before that, right. Rather it was a, yeah, like there are certain, you know, abuses and things that need to be worked on that have been slowly working their way through or debated all the way through church history up to this point. But really it was the church has taken a turn in the last hundred years, 150 years in such a way that is so drastic and significant that we really need to um, shift away from it uh, now in a pretty extreme and drastic way. So it was not a, hey, we need to cut ourselves off from everything that's come before. And and I just think that that is such a point, and we are going to talk about that when we read some of the reactions to Luther over time, um, in in a in the page, the special Patreon episode we'll do after this. Luther and none of the reformers, it, it's it's so clear, right? Uh, for example, a lot of people point to maybe the major breaking point being the Fourth Lateran Council. This is where transubstantiation is talked about, and also the other thing we have to say about. Um, the papal claims, yes, the papacy existed uh, for hundreds of years um, before even the Fourth Lateran Council in the 1200s. But up until, and maybe even the, I'd, again, I'd have to look for sure, before uh, their, the lifetime of the reformers, there was a debate over if councils or the bishop at the top of the hierarchy, the pope, obviously in the year a thousand when the east and west church split this is over the church not being able to agree where the authority sits yep. and up until nearly the the life of the reformers there is a debate over whether councils or the the bishop at the top of the hierarchy is the highest authority in the church and when they first heard the reformers especially luther most of them thought luther was just a, a kind of slightly outdated proponent of conciliarism. They're like, oh, he's saying that their councils can, he's he's taking this position that we're pretty familiar with, yep. right? Um, and so again, right? So even in Luther's day, many of the things he was, he was saying, people are like, oh yeah, we, we kind of know about that controversy. Right, this um, isn't new, right? What he's saying right. is not really new. <laughs> yeah, and so it is, and, and if you read, um, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, Calvin quotes the church fathers so much because he's laboring. Calvin specifically is laboring to show what I'm not saying is new. The problem is what's with the new things are the problem. I'm attempting uh, to, to hold to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, represented in the fathers, um, yes. enthroned in the, in the ecumenical and Catholic creeds. Right. And that's why Pastor Michael and I can say today that I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Yep. And I we say that with joy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so 
what what I'm getting at in this in taking yep. us down that rabbit hole, oh. that yep. rabbit hole of history is happy Reformation Day. That's just yeah. some good Reformation Day goodies. Seriously. Um, it seems like very possibly uh, when you look at some of the, the roots of the worst parts of the modern evangelical church, whether it be um, elements of of uh, revivalism, uh, whether it be elements of kind of, uh, you know, uh, various various kinds of, of superstitiousness, I don't know, superstitions, uh, whether it be uh, an overriding naturalism, which I know kind of seems like it's different than what I just said, but I think it's there, right? Especially a, a, a heavy kind of enlightenment rationalism. Uh, when you look at those elements or even then again, elements of problems in worship that are actually very similar to some of the concerns that the reformers had, um, for instance, that, you know, um, the congregation is not actively involved in the whole of the worship. Uh, that, that seems to be very true of most, uh, or at least a lot of American evangelicalism as well, that worship is something that people do up on a stage, usually with lights on them. And everybody else is just sitting out in the dark. Maybe they join into a certain parts of it, but mostly they're watching what's going on as opposed to participating in what is going on. When I take all of those things and I think about the root causes of a lot of those things, or at least what I think is the root cause of many of those things, I think you can trace those things back well over a hundred years, at least a lot of them. And so in that sense, I all, you know, it feels like, wow, um, maybe things are worse off in some ways, right? Like I can't, I can't go so close uh, in history to say, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. And I think what's interesting. And so I'm, I'm probably a yay. I think most people who would be a nay or a nuance would say, well, at least we have justification by faith. right? And again, there are, but there are lots of other things to reform. And I think the other thing that's that, maybe makes me feel the even greater need for this ref the reformation is the roman catholics that debated them that persecuted them that harassed them that condemned them they were wrong but they had like an informed perspective they were bringing to these things like they were like combating the reformation out of like some deeply held convictions I don't know that any of these things are held from like, or like combated or like when people show up to the church where Pastor Michael's uh, a pastor. I don't know that like, again, certainly sometimes, and obviously there are people who have sent us um, dis thoughtful disagreements with what we, what we believe. And that's, and that's fine. But that the, in the predominant evangelical world, I don't know that these things have arisen out of an informed and convicted position. No. No, I mean, they I mean, have you right? know, you know, it's true, listener. Right. Like, we, we love, we love evangelicals. We are evangelicals, but you know, it's true. We just know it's true. It's man. It's well, and this is the, one of the most difficult parts about it in some ways is like you're saying with just the informed view of things is that the, the vast majority of 
general evangelicalism. And we've talked about how confusing this language even is. You can go back and find where we've talked about evangelicalism and what exactly evangelicalism is. And does it even mean anything when we're using this term? Uh, but like when we're just talking about, you know, generally the American, you know, uh, evangelical world, um, the blinders of, well, we have no tradition. It's just me and my Bible. The blinders of like every, all those other people, they're simply using some kind of tradition. But what I have is just like the pure word of God. And that's why I do things the way that I do. The That tradition, right? Like whatever that tradition is, that blinds people to just the fact that they have a tradition because we all do, right? That's it literally just to be human. You are actively like a part of some tradition and we should be, right? Like that's good. Um, the fact that you can't even like begin to even think that is possible is just so, uh, it's frustrating for one, if you speak to people who are like, look, obviously the whole of church history is just testifying to me, right? Like, and, and this particular belief of a very small amount of people at this very small point in history that is wildly different from every other time in church history. Uh, but it's such a thick blinder that what you're saying rings true, right? Like the, that no, there's not somebody sitting there thinking really thoughtfully and deeply about why we're using certain, you know, uh, styles in order to reach people, or even just the very idea of like, Hey, like the tradition of, Hey, we're just trying to get as many people in the doors as we can. Right. Why? Right. Why are you doing that? Why? Like, what's the, the purpose of that? There might be like a text of scripture that you say, well, because look, like we want people to hear about Jesus, but there's no like actual deep thought of like, well, okay, how do these things connect? How does it fit within the whole context of scripture? How does, how does it fit within the whole context of the, the purpose and work of the church? And, you know, what are Sundays for and, and how is everybody to, supposed to be involved? And, you know, what does it look like to actually preach the gospel and share the gospel with a neighbor? And like, there's so many things that this involves that the, the just kind of, uh, blindness of the tradition and the really kind of simplistic biblicism is it just keeps there's just there's not a lot of deep thought it seems to me uh within this particular tradition so pastor michael then the question is if we're in that bad of a need of a reformation maybe you've already gotten to it obviously we and our listeners can pray for such a reformation in the church today what do we need? What do we need to see a reformation? And maybe if you want to think of your answer, I'll give you my. Yeah, my let me. I've got some thoughts, but I want to work it out a little bit. So you give me Great. yours. So my thought is because, again, I think about, again, there are a lot of ways we could go about this. We could, you know, um, I think the more I study, for example, Luther specifically, people ask questions and it's a great question. Why Luther, right? Calvin handles things very systematically. Um, and that is just, it's just frankly, not Luther's interest, right? When Luther comes to the end of his life and he says, you can burn pretty much everything I've written, but the larger catechism bondage of the will, um, and the, the, the catechisms, 
what does Luther care about? Even, even why is he concerned about justification by faith? Why does he hate indulgences? What are all, what are these things? Why does he think the catechisms are so important? Why does he want worship in the tongue of the people? You know, these things that he's so motivated for. I think when you read Luther and you read, I think you read, you can find this in the reformers like Martin Bucer as well. Um, I think you can find, you can find this across. I think what we need today is we need a reformation in the pastor. We need reformed pastors because Luther hates indulgences because not they're taking money out of his people's pockets, but also they're selling false assurance. Luther wants them to have insurance, hence why justification by faith. Obviously, it's a scriptural teaching, but it's a thing worth dying for. Luther hates the overly traditional, these elaborate uh, uh, tradition-based doctrines because they cannot, his, they're, they're not for his people, right? They can't, they have no power for them. In, right, Luther cares about the catechisms because he cares about education and the faith. Right, Martin Bucer's famous book of the true care of souls. Right, he writes on what it means to be a pastor, and you see as they do this work, um, as they oppose everything that would get in the way of that. Right, you know, because I think sometimes we can think, well, the Reformation, we have to go fight these all the new controversies. Well, what the what Luther does and what these men do is they do the work of pastoring. And as they actually do that incredibly hard work, what they find is all of these fights show up that they decide they have to fight for the sake of the sheep. So it's not like they're out of the game, but they're not out there like, right, even Luther's most polemical bondage of the will, right, he's only writing because Erasmus has decided to assault the Reformation at its core on on if man has the power to respond to the gospel alone or not. And so I think we can take a, we can take a page from them and, and that it's past, we need pastors for the people who are doing this deep work. And then when they see the battle come to their people who they'll stand up and fight this way. And so I think it is a, I think in a, in a very real sense, right? Why is preaching become so important to the reformers? Pastoring, right? Because their people don't have the word of God, right? Why is translation so important, right? All of these things, I think, I think is one way. Again, that's, there's a lot of things we could talk about, right? We, yeah. we could, right. We could talk about the back to the sources kind of stuff. And yep. And Which is else, great, I, by the way. Yeah, really, really thankful for some of the work that's going on there. Um, you know, we've had uh, some of the guys like from Davenant on and, you know, a lot of that kind of work I think is great. I think that's going to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Here's what I would say. I have two. I have two things. Awesome. Um, and I think I would I would totally agree with everything you just said. Right. And like you said, there's so much more that we could say. But I was trying to. Of course. Where are the things that I think are really just massive? Right. I'm distilling down right a continent wide awakening and effort yes. by the spirit of god right. right so of course i you know i'm i'm picking one thing right yes um and uh i because of what you just said it just made me think i'm adding to, i'm making it 3 <laughs> oh wow Dude, this guy uh, so is, this guy is this guy does preach to his people on a weekly I, basis he keeps <laughs> adding to it you got to stop talking or i'm going to add more bro i just keep going but uh 
number one, so I, I think reformation today is going to require number one, uh, return to nature. And that might sound strange and kind of out of the blue, but I think that we are so unbelievably far down the postmodern void. I don't, you know, the black hole of postmodernism that we, it is so hard for us to even hear what the scripture is saying because we're so far removed from what is real, right? From, from creation as God has made it. Um, and rather we have in so many ways been removed from it that I think, I think C.S. Lewis, by the way, um, hits on this really well in so much of his work. And I think that C.S. Lewis was basically in some sense, a prophet, or maybe even like a, we'll see if I end up being right about this. I think it's very possible C.S. Lewis was a kind of a, uh, almost John the Baptist type figure for the need for this kind of thing where he, Uh, His, you know, like coming into the faith in many ways came by first being exposed to so much of uh, the pagan myths and going back to an old school paganism where he saw that like they they got something about the way things actually are. They were wrong. Ultimately, he he realized that when he comes to uh, knowledge of the truth, but they were so much closer to the truth than we are today because of just the complete uh, radical denial of nature. And because of that, I think nature's God, right? We've we've set things up in such a way uh, that we'll maybe have to dig into a different day because it will take us a long time to uh, extrapolate on that it is like to even come to the scripture, to hear God's word, there are so many things blocking it and, and keeping us in our in the postmodern worldview from even hearing what it's saying. Uh, that I think that has to be a huge part of of it, because even in much of the preaching, even in in most of, like people coming to their quiet times all the time, how come this hasn't like changed things, right? I there are people in evangelical traditions that are like really faithful in their quiet times, and they're still postmodernists through and through, and they have a radically anti-Christian worldview without knowing it. Right. Why is it? It's because there there is a fundamental denial of nature um, at the heart of of much of the postmodern world today. Number two, I think it reformation is going to require a return to the fear of God. I think this is huge. I think the way that we approach God is with so much irreverence and the way that we think of God is so narcissistic, like that we are narcissistic, that all we think about is how like God needs to do certain things for us. And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel, right? I'm talking about the, like, I am so uh, needy and God has to come along and like care for me in these ways, right? Like Mm -hmm. God, here are the things, here is what I'm like. Here's my personality type. Here's my, you know, whatever. And the way that God has to interact with me has to fit those categories. Or we approach God in, we so often just approach God as as if to say, here is my story and God has to enter into my story, right? And he has to be the most important character in my story. No, that's not how this works, right? Right. I think we need to return to the fear of God where we recognize that I don't matter, right? Like it is all of him, right? All things are, are 
for him and through him and to him. And that's it, right? Like that's, this is, this is the sum of everything. All of creation, including me was made in order to uh, reflect his glory. And that's it, right? Like that's what I'm for. So I am a small character in his story rather than the other way around. So I think uh, reformation requires a return to nature, return to the fear of God. And just because of what you maybe think, I think it really requires a return to uh, an understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I think even within the reform world, I think in most of, of the evangelical world, I think we are uh, in many ways still very legalistic. We're, we're legalists in that we think that the way this is going to change is if we just do more. Right. So we're like, all right, well, how do we really change this? We're going to all read our Bibles more. And I love that, by the way. I think we should all read our Bibles more. Um, and we're just going to like, you know, we're going to have an hour long sermon instead of, you know, a 20 minute or half an hour sermon because we're really serious about changing things. And uh, again, that might be fine. Like, I, I don't, you know, um, I, I don't know that that's wrong at all. And I don't. John Mark, Pastor Michael is not asking John MacArthur to shorten his sermons at this stage in his ministry career. We've... No, like God bless him, you know, you can do that. Uh, but I do think that we just have this sense that like the way we're going to change things is just by like doing the things we've always done, but more or something like that. Uh, whereas the reality is that for there to be true reformation, it has to come by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that we need to make use of and lay hold of the means that he has provided um, for there to be change. And then we have to, in prayerfulness, right? And and uh, in humility, wait upon him to move too, right? Like we, we, we mm -hmm. have to, uh, we have to uh, allow God to do this in his time as, as he wills. So, so that's what I would say. Those are great answers. Um, I do think we should talk, about even in the context of complementarianism, I think about one of the things that's very interesting about it is we kind of um, there's no discussion of the nature of humans or like just what nature tells us about being men and women. And that I think it is probably one of the pieces that was actually missing in our discussions. Totally. 100%. And that's, this is one of the reasons I think it's all uh, fallen apart. So, so um we are going to go to, uh, we're going to do our two more topics and then we're going to try and react to this Lutheran satire video because I am just so excited about it. So Pastor Michael, we are back to the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Um, would you like me to play the Battle Hymn of the Republic in the background as you react to this? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, so give me one, one moment, uh, everybody. So Pastor Michael and I, uh, this last uh, July 4th uh, came out with a statement that we were um, pro the singing of the Battle Hymn of the Republic uh, to the great um, chagrin of many people and the celebration. What seems to be the majority or at least the most vocal portion of our uh, listenership. <laughs> and, and we have a conservative Presbyterian uh, grouping, which is no surprise. And so we are not we are not shocked or offended by any of you who have that view. And we are going to read another person with that view right now. So, okay. Okay, so here you go. So sorry for everyone who 
doesn't want this uh, <laughs> as we play this song. Uh, I do love your podcast so much, uh, but do listen to the Reform Forums episode on this hymn from another angle, which was feedback we were given by many people because they walk through the history of this hymn. Um, and their point is, and sing the Psalms more for exactly the same effect you were talking about this problematic, quote unquote, by the way, we scare quoted hymns every time we mentioned it, quote unquote hymn, especially the pre- imprecatory imprecatory psalms, smiley face, and you completely avoid the nationalistic bits, and you really are singing to and about the Lord Jesus. In Christ, Chris Morgan. Pastor Michael, what do we say to this piece of feedback on the Battle Hymn of the Republic? Uh, yeah, shout out to this guy. I love the idea of singing the Psalms. Um, you know, we do, by the way, at our church, I'd say we're pretty intentional about trying to sing Psalms every Sunday. Um, and there's sometimes yep. where the majority of what we sing is Psalms. It depends on the Sunday. I won't say that that's the majority of Sundays, but there are some uh, where that is true and uh, more and more so. Um, you know, we do, we want songs that are very singable for a congregation um, and not a congregation from the 1600s. <laughs> and so uh, sometimes, Sometimes some of those are hard. And so we like, you know, we're working on that. We're trying to find ones that uh, we like and are good and, and uh, uh, you know, helpful to all sing together. Um, there's, to talk about that's I'm, by that, I mean the, you know, the, the melodies that are put to the Psalms. Obviously, we love all the Psalms um, and are not, you know, picking and choosing the Psalms themselves. Uh, right. So love that, you know, shout out to that guy. I love that advice. I also... <laughs> Feel like the song. I, maybe <laughs> listen. I'm just being honest with you guys, right? Like I'm trying to be honest. I don't want to because we got backlash. Then all of a sudden, be like, well, maybe it'll make people like us more if we say we don't like it anymore. I still <laughs> like the song. It's. I it's, know we, it, we might lose every single listener, but I know we won't. I know we won't because I've had quite a few people who either reach out to us, uh, similar to the people that are upset, or quite a few people in person who have come to me and I most from Wisconsin, because if you meet me in person, it's almost definitely in Wisconsin. And so many people in Wisconsin that are like, Oh, I totally agree with you guys. Like I like this song. And so maybe it's cause we're just Northerners, but you know, Hey, you guys lost. I'm just kidding. Just you know, kidding. That's not, yeah. you know, like we said on our episode about this, I don't want to sing it as some kind of like Northern pride thing. I want to make jokes right. about that now because we got such a backlash for it. Right. But uh, I, like, I don't care about that. That's not what I want. And if, if I thought it was super explicit about uh, the fact that this is, you know, something having to do with, uh, with the civil war or something like that, I, I would like it less, but I think that even though it does have that original context, I think it's perfectly reasonable to sing at least most of it. There's maybe a couple parts that sure they sound a little militaristic and a little bit harder to allegorize, but uh, I've, there are other hymns like this, right? And so, and I think if you do, by the way, everyone, as we listen to it, it's it's mid October and this is making me smile. Uh, there's and there is almost, I feel at like a this election month like a complete lack of any like patriotism so um, what why this is why, like a, matt <laughs> this is a complete like this is singable i agree that i could see a day where your church is um singing enough psalms imprecatory psalms 
and has a wide enough um yeah a wide enough psalmody and hymnody that yeah you don't you don't sing this really ever i could see that and i wouldn't have a problem with it i probably other than this song i basically oftentimes feel like i'm basically a southern presbyterian in the body of a of a guy stuck in the north and so um (laughs) I'm with you guys in most areas, maybe other than this song. I also am fine if there's the one verse that talks about the wash fires, which apparently right. is a is a reference. This to is something. the biggest one that people really got on, like the watch fires. So, so let's let's kill. Let's let's all let's all move on together and kill verse two and uh, and, and love happy. the song and, <laughs> and love the song. Uh, so, by the way, we're not singing this every week. <laughs> No, I, we literally I've, you know, at the church that I'm currently at, I've been there uh, over seven years and we've sung it once to my knowledge. <laughs> and I don't know how often before that. Right. So I'm it's so not happy like, we're I was like there. this is the song. Right. There are plenty right. of psalms that we sing way more than this. It just happens to be that I still like it after all the <laughs> criticism, after it all. I know I get it. I understand why you don't like it. And it doesn't even really bother me that you don't like it but I still like it. So let's, let's move on to our final topic before we come to our great YouTube reaction. I will do those at the end. Let's do those at the end. Um, We're going to talk about something you all like as our listeners and one YouTube commenter really doesn't like, and that's Calvinism. So um, we had someone tell us that uh, we, that our episode, our treatment we did on the flame episode was a great job right so uh flame is a rapper who at one point was a reformed baptist is now at a lutheran seminary becoming a lutheran minister and was proposing one of the traditional lutheran um readings of romans 9 so actually some lutheran readings of romans 9 we probably would have basically no problem with uh this particular one has a pretty um has is is is, he was leaning pretty hard against that this can describe individual forms of election um which obviously we think it does and obviously most lutherans would not agree with us on the the statements it make that seem to relate to the idea of god passing over those he has not elected um uh who will not be saved that they will not be saved um uh in reprobation so they said it was a great treatment. They said Bob Godfrey, who is a great church history professor, by the way, uh, love everything he does. So Bob Godfrey used to say that the elect receive the gift of life and the reprobate do not receive the gift of hell, but are left in their state of sin, which I think is a great modern way to basically simply position the reformed perspective on, on this position. Also, um, that will maybe maybe someday we'll get into lapsarianism because I do think uh, a, a, a solid infralapsarianism uh, becomes an important part of Calvinist teaching. And sorry, um, I've actually had a long engagement with one of our listeners on this. And so I think he is he's come around, which is great. So now here's someone who did not like, you know, as we know, we've uh, we've listened to Greg Laurie criticize Calvinism and we reacted. Well, this listener of that clip uh, had some thoughts to that, and they could not accept Pastor Michael, just so you know. Long story short, they cannot accept what we were saying about Calvinism. So, Pastor Michael, this is going to be your chance here on this Reformation Day special. I even told this person in a YouTube comment, check out our Reformation Day episode as we respond to your comment. (laughs) Great. I love it. Dear YouTube commenter, if you're listening now, um, 
you can contact us and we will give you some merch. Uh, we don't know who you are. Um, and not all of our merch looks like super reformed D. So uh, we'd love for you. So uh, especially because you start this way, as almost no YouTube commenter has ever started a YouTube comment, I respectfully disagree. So there you go. <laughs> this so is just like how many, how many YouTube comments ever have, or maybe a lot have started that way. But then, like the next word is like a cuss word, <laughs> so it's, well, it just we'll throws it out long, the window. We'll see how long they're able to maintain it. But we, I want to give you the props that you started with. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I heard a well-known Calvinist when asked if a child is abused or harmed in any way via evil intent of another person that that was God's will. That's what the the defender of Calvinism, Pastor Michael, said. Yes. Did this person attribute evil to God? I cannot accept that. Pastor Michael, speak. Speak to this YouTube commenter. Um, just so our, this YouTube commenter knows, um, we, um, many of the Calvinists who have been around the block have heard this kind of objection before. And we've also heard very bad explanations of God's sovereignty before. So if you... In particular, we're, uh, we're given a very bad explanation of God's decree and God's sovereignty. We apologize on behalf of whoever gave you that um, because we were all once 18 and trying to defend Calvinism to people at that point. Yep. <laughs> but and Pastor even Michael, come on, like cage sage Calvinist, like there's this like oh, this yeah. joy, this like uh it's not a good joy. <laughs> it's, nope. it's not a true joy in the spirit, uh, but it is this like, you know, immature glee in, I want to say something that's shocking, right? Like yeah, you're a young man and you want to like, oh yeah, I'm going to push the envelope and say what everybody like tries to get me with. I'm just going to say it. And I'm going to say it in that I way. I get to swallow the reductio. I get to like, they're like, well, you would never let this be the conclusion. And you get to go, you get to double down. You get to be like, you get to be do You get to do 4chan trolling for Jesus in your mind. And right. this is like your one chance. And so you, oh man, Lord have mercy. We, yeah, uh, it's rough. And so, so pastor Michael, um, so this person is, thinks we're attributing evil to God one. Yep. And they think that when, we, if you say some evil event is God's will, um, that that they that's just a statement they could never ever accept. So, Pastor right. Michael, I'm gonna let you start the response here because I don't want to be a cage stage Calvinist guy, but I might I it might tempt me on a YouTube comment to tilt that way. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, we shouldn't react to this the way that we want to react to when people tell us that the battle hymn of the Republic is a bad hymn. <laughs> we, we shouldn't say, come on, get over it. The South lost. <laughs> uh, so, that, <laughs> um, so here's the deal. We talked earlier about how there's these like this like simplistic biblicism that like just puts these kinds of blinders on that make it really difficult to speak to people about things. And this is one of those issues where almost always that's going to show up because in order to understand this, this is not a, you don't get to answer a question 
about the sovereignty of God in all human affairs with just like a quick, quick little, oh, this is how it works. Um, there are easy, I you know, easy to say kind of, you know, quick ways to summarize it. But for instance, you know, when somebody hears uh, this is the will of God, right? Like you, you are not actually this. I'm talking to Calvinists here. Um, you are not communicating well what is going on, right? You think what you think you're saying is God is always in control of all things and he's foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Therefore, I can say, yes, that's God's will. And by if in in meaning, yes, God did not all of a sudden step out of the picture where he had zero control and was no longer God, therefore, right? If that's what you mean, yeah, like th that sentiment, that idea is correct, but this is not a helpful way to communicate because you know what people mean by this is the will of God, right? They don't mean, did God take a break here or not? Right. Uh, so this is why having a confessional understanding and being able to, uh, you know, um, think about the way that those who have gone before us have formulated these things is really helpful, I think. So um, when we're thinking about the the fact that, uh, you know, does God commit evil acts? No. Right. Does right. God ever sin? No. Right. Has has God ever done anything evil? No. Right. That It's. Against his very nature, right? That is not something that God can do. Uh, that that is not at all what has happened, right? So um, when this commenter says, "Like I cannot attribute evil to God," me either, right? No me one either. who believes the Bible can, because yeah, no one who believes the Bible can. So so that's not what we're talking about. So we kind of try to get that out of the way. Now, has God? Let's just see if we can agree on anything. Has God ever predestined something where men sin? Yes. Right. You have to say that. We all have to agree to that because Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world, right? Like he, it was always the plan of God that Jesus Christ would die. How did he die? He was killed. He was murdered. The only innocent person to ever live was murdered. And so like that is this is the and, and not only it, he wasn't just a man. Right. This is we're talking about the son of God, the eternal son of God. And he was crucified. He was murdered. So this is the most grievous sin that has ever happened in the history of the world. and. Yet, we know that this was the plan of God, right? This was this was always something. He was crucified according to the plan of God. I believe that's the word that uh, Peter used uses on the day of Pentecost. I can't remember for sure. I'll have to look it up quick.
So this is uh, in Acts 2, the very first, you know, sermon in the power of the Holy Spirit when uh, the the Spirit has descended upon the apostles and they're preaching to uh, men from all these different places. And Peter says, men of Israel, this is verse 22 in chapter 2, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. So um, God, uh, Jesus was crucified according to the definite plan of God, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And this, I mean, this is one of many, many places that we could go. And I think we can all agree on this. Right. I think maybe I'm wrong, but like Jesus was always going to be crucified. This was always God's plan. This was his intent. And it was the most evil thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And so we can agree that it is possible for God to foreknow and foreknowing does not just mean he saw what was going to happen in advance. Foreknowing in scriptures always has to do with him actually uh, taking part in, in the sense that he's, he's, he, he doesn't knowing is, is not just like a knowledge thing, right? Uh, it's, it's not just knowing things about what's going to happen. But even if we said that it's also his definite plan, right? So according to his, his predestined plan, uh, this took place. So we can agree that it's possible for God completely without sin, without sinning himself, without causing someone to sin, uh, without being, you know, uh, guilty of sin. He can predestine that something sinful takes place. Yes. So we can agree to that. I think, I mean, we should be able to agree to that if we're simply just looking at the scripture itself. Yeah. And, and, and so here's, here's the other thing. Yes. So what we must accept is that God um, can plan and predestine acts. So there's, there's, and he doesn't go on breaks, right? Like when, when something evil does happen, God doesn't just disappear for that moment. And there's, and there's two responses I want to give because I think people think they dodge the problem of evil when they talk this way to Calvinists that they think they don't have. So, but we both actually still live in a world where children are harmed by, by moral actors. And so you're saying what we're doing is doing something that would charge God with evil. Um, and we're saying, no, we don't. Um, we are saying that God, though uh, we don't understand how, um, and that he doesn't take breaks and that it is against what he has specifically said he wants. Yep. So we know it is not his will. Right. Um, Cause he will punish it. He's going yeah. to hold people responsible, but we do not believe there is any evil in the world that God doesn't have a purpose in. Yes. And there is no evil in the world that God can't redeem or overpower in his will. That's my concern about, your view of God, that there are, if there are views of evil that God can't redeem, he can't overpower. That is your view. My view is while I can't explain it, while it doesn't make it okay, while it, it, uh, it doesn't make it okay that people crucified Jesus and yelled crucify to the Lord of glory, the incarnation of the father's love doesn't make that okay, but it does mean God had a purpose. 
Now, here's my secondary response. And this one's a little more theological. So our friends who want the substantive stuff are going to be cheering. I think people think there's a distinctive Calvinist teaching in regarding divine providence and every as God as everything comes to pass, that God participates in all things that come to pass. They think is actually Calvinist, but is actually just what everyone in all of Christian history taught. Hmm. Um, as I've been reading some some dogmatic theology outside of the Reformed tradition, in other Protestant traditions, and in Catholic traditions. Um, most of them talk about divine providence. They all do because they all believe in providence, that yeah. God is involved and governs and preserves all things and all his creatures and all their actions. Because you have to, because he's because God. The scriptures, because they, right, he's God the scriptures and, declare, and just the very nature of God. He, I mean, there's no, there is no place. There's no time that God is somehow out of control. It's, it's yes. actually just not even, it's not even with, within the realm of possibility. Right. Like right. the the fact that we can even begin to like think about that is because we've gotten so far removed from a true understanding of God that we just think of God as like, well, he's us, but bigger and stronger and smarter. But he's no, he's right. God. Right. Like he is. He is wholly other. He is. He's not like that. Right. And so the other traditions believe in divine providence they believe god preserves all things right he upholds creation they believe he governs all things and they believe in a doctrine called concurrence which is where god that the same effect that the creature is produced cannot be produced without god as the first cause of that effect that god is involved in all effects in creation by he empowers them they can't act without him god also Every Christian tradition believes God foreknows what all those things will be. Yep. So Paul, so, Paul says in him, we live, move, and have our being, right? He says that that's right. true. That's true at all times and, for all people. And so when they, for example, when we look at the crucifixion, so how do we, how do we think about or, or any evil act? And this is a, again, this is a, this next statement I'm going to make is not a Calvinist statement. This is a, pretty much all Christian statement. How can God predetermine and foreknow and plan the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which is evil? God's concurrence applies the effect, but not the defect. This is something everyone agrees with, or you, if you don't agree with it, I beg you, I hope you agree with this. God plan brought about the desire his desire for Christ to die for the sins of the world, that he may be glorified and given a name above every name. That was God's plan. That was the effect he planned. The defect of hating God, of hating Christ and rejecting the Messiah, that is that is the, that sinful man. Now, here is the distinctive Calvinist thing we're saying when God foreknows things. We say God foreknows things because he's decreed them. That is prop, That is where we are distinctive. That is where we are unique if we if we should call it that so that is us in calvinism so we hope that's a good answer to our youtube commenter um look at us taking a youtube comment and turning it into that come on that's great this is this is what you call um this is what you call radio pros right this is just this is just pro podcasting 
But Pastor Michael, this brings us to a an important thing that we will close the show on. Um, because the Reformation wasn't all just all of us happy together, all agreeing. There were some pretty, pretty stark disagreements that occurred over time between the reformers pretty famously. Uh, it wasn't all of us versus Rome. Over time, it became all of us versus the Anabaptists. And then uh, everyone outside of Germany versus Luther. And then uh, everyone in England versus the Puritans and on and on, right? These things didn't go on. And so good old Hans Feeney made a great video about his view of the other reformers uh, that I, we might release the video of this. I don't know. We'll see what it looks like. I don't know how our video works to record. It's probably something we should probably do better in the future, find a better way to record um, us in video. Um, but this is Hans Feeney's view of how Luther and, and Lutherans react to the other reformers. So Pastor Michael, this is just for you and for our listeners' edification. So I hope you get as much joy out of this uh, as I have. And um, we, will, we, will, uh, we will comment on it as, as need be. It is October 31st, and I have got some things to say. Und there we go. Ja, okay. Now for my morning schnitzel. Hello, Lucia. What are you doing? Oh, hey, Twingly. I'm just starting that thing where I try to reform the Catholic Church since it has turned away from numerous biblical teachings. Oh, so like you're starting the Reformation? Yeah, a Reformation, exactly. Cool. Can I join? Do you reject the works righteousness of the Pope and confess the chief doctrine of the Christian faith that man is justified by grace alone through faith? Alone? Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. I also reject that the Lord Shopper is actually the body and the blood of Jesus because the papists believe that. Okay, Zwingli. But the Bible very clearly teaches that Christ is physically present in the sacrament. And the point of a reformation is to be faithful to God's word. Not to just be as uncatholic as possible. But that's the point of my reformation. So, here comes in the hot take on <laughs> Ulrich Zwingli. Uh, Pastor Michael, how are you <laughs> enjoying? Other reformers will be showing up. I just opened this fruit snack because I'm going to enjoy this. So This is fun. I like it. So uh, we do. We love our Lutherans, and we actually don't take Zwingli's view of the supper. I will say he did have a little more to the reasoning of his, his doctrine of the Lord's Supper than I have to be as opposite of the papists as possible but but that wouldn't be as fun to explain so it we wouldn't get it. and and this is essentially luther's view of what yep. joingly is saying so right. it is a it is a faithful representation of, of luther Lame, of luther <laughs> himself and for a luther pastor hey you're still in the tradition i guess right <laughs> you That's still right. you still don't understand what everyone else is saying <laughs> And, and you know what? You don't care. Like, yeah, and, and you part. don't care. That's the best. Yeah, this is what it's, I actually love about them, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't care. All right, let's see who let's see who might mosey in to the club next. Your reformation? Bonjour, mes amis. What is uh, how you say up? Oh, hello, John Calvin. Lucy here. Von I just want to say I love that John Calvin has the most obnoxious French accent possible. <laughs> <laughs> like like oh man to join my reformation but he still wants to be a little halfway papist sissy baby <laughs> nine this is not true i just don't want to abandon the sacraments <laughs> because of your scripture twisting 
Pope Rage. Ah ben, dans the sacrament, sacré bleu, who would do such a thing? Twingy. He says that this is my party means this represents my party. Oh, Zwingli, what a fool you are. So you agree with me that the bread and wine are the body and blood of Christ? Of course not. The finite is not capable of the infinite. So you agree with Zwingli, then? No, no, no. He says that ease does not mean ease. What lunacy? I say that ease means ease as long as the definition of ease is not ease. Is a completely different position. <laughs> You're going to need to understand these distinctions. Oh, I mean, and of course, Luther, uh, Calvin shows up to, to, uh, to make the point in Lutheran satire that it depends on what is the definition of is is <laughs> which is true which, which is true by the way i'm just i, I do uh is this a reductio you're willing to swallow be like oh yeah I, that, yeah you're... i mean that's basically right not quite maybe what the way you just put it uh but yeah as, basically as luther and lutheran pastors well know uh when luther debated this with the people after zwingli they said jesus said things like i am the door I am the vine. And that's the same is verb. Yeah. And then that and that's where they got mad and called us blasphemous sacramentarians for that uh for that perspective. For um, that but, obvious truth from the scripture. <laughs> <laughs> oh dude, we love you. We love you. I let's let's keep going because the club gets even more interesting. Lucy, my friend, if you want to be a part of my reformation. This is mine reformation. Reformation, you say? I'd love to get on board. <laughs> you would? Let's just all say King Henry VIII walked in, and we all agree this guy does not belong in the club. Like, <laughs> this, oh, man. Even after you've called me a heretic for posting my thesis here, has your allegiance to the Pope changed because you've seen the heirs of his theology? Not really. It's mostly changed because he won't know my marriage to that half-barren, pig-faced Spanish bride of mine. Is that fact-checked true, by the way? <laughs> that is what changed the King of England's mind on the Reformation. <laughs> it's not a good reason for leaving the Church of Rome. No, Dr. Luther, your short-sighted attitude is precisely the reason why the Church of England has chosen Mr. Calvin here to be the chief theological advisor for our ecclesiastical Brexit. God is sovereign indeed. Soon all the world will confess that Jesus did not die for all the world. Well, not all of us. And another, another <laughs> parting, parting. You gotta Calvin. be able to laugh though, because he is so funny, right? I mean, this, he is like, so this guy's great. Uh, Hans is like, he really has a gift. I love, I love it. Um, yeah, that's funny. And again, he is, he is highlighting the things that, because I do think it's, I just find it fascinating to think about that, the, like, the mindset of that, like, of the, of, of this, all of these people, like, yeah, these people aren't reformers. Like, I, I find it, I just love it. And, yep. and I, um, I don't know. I Here's I like the real hot time. take, real hot take. They were all a part of it. And that's how reformation works in the real world. It's not pristine and exact and all of your theology is just right. And everybody agrees it will never work that way because there's real people involved. I, I think it's, I, and the only thing I'll say is obviously he's playing Luther as like the a character. It's insane to think Luther came at reformation. Like I have a pristine thing that I'm writing down and 
I know these people don't belong because they're aberrations from this pristine thing I've worked out. Right. Everyone knows Luther, right? Luther in the 95 Theses is still like talking about the Pope being able to remit people's sins, right? Like he, he's clearly, he's clearly um, reforming as he yes. goes. Um, right. He's and, working it out. And as he goes, he did find things like the Lord's Supper that he decided he could not go with them. All, right. That's not that those differences weren't there, but that it, they had to find out like they met, he met Zwingli to find out they couldn't, they couldn't agree um, in the reformation. So the end of this, this thing, it keeps going. It just gets good. Us are going to believe that particular doctrine, Mr. Calvin. Shut up, you filthy renegade. No, you shut up. This is my reformation now. Stop trying to steal my reformation. Now, don't get upset, <laughs> Dr. Luther. I think I speak for all of us when I say that we're all deeply in your debt. After all, today is the day when you set us free from the shackles of Rome so we could follow your example. By quitting our church bodies and starting a new one, the second we don't like the cut of someone's theological jib. That's not what I did. I got so kicked out. Ah, same difference. What do you say, Jen? Shall we honor Dr. Luther with a rousing rendition of the Protestant song? Oui. Absolutely. We are the Protestants. We're on the same team as Luther. No, <laughs> All our traditions are equally valid. This is not true. Who cares what we teach about <laughs> the sacraments or about the atonement? The most important thing is the common. Just so you know, in case you aren't watching this, uh, Henry Henry the Eighth, when he sings, he doesn't get like. His the picture next to him is all the women he married. Like <laughs> that's, that's this thing. Um, I do love this because to our Lutheran listeners uh, that Michael has offended with his statements about uh, Christ's state teachings about calling himself the door and things. Um, we do want to say we literally could sing this song. We are on the same team. We like, we, that literally is how we feel. And we don't care that you don't want to hug us back. Right. Like we're also we, we're, for the record, there are a lot of Lutherans that they're like, yeah, we do like, we're, we're like, we're playing the same game at least <laughs> like we're not we're not against each other but like we're not you know we're not quite there we're not we're, you know we're not quite the same but there are some that are they ease up a little bit we'll, we'll hug it out we'll hug it out Ding. So just just so everyone knows, that last <laughs> line was, uh, unless you believe in the real presence, in which case we'll call you cannibals and then get mad when you don't commune us. By the way, <laughs> as time went on, and we can we can come back to we maybe we will do a more serious look at the Lord's Supper. But at the height of it, after Luther and the original uh, reformers' lives, when everyone knew there was no chance of uniting the churches, it did get to the point that the reformers were accusing the Lutheran theologians of cannibalism. Um, and, and that's a story for another time. And so we will, we will, we can understand why if you were called a cannibal, you would not want to commune such a person uh, after that. Thank you for singing that song, Mr. Schluser. I say nothing. 
<laughs> but wait, the I'll just say that Catholics don't get off easy in this video either. It's it was great. He saluta. He making me so mad. Dude, Leo the Tenth, I know, right? So this is a meeting of Leo the Tenth with the current Pope Francis. Right? I mean it's like, who does he think he is to change the church's doctrine? <laughs> oh good. So you future Pope, so you're not changing my teachings. Oh, I think you'd be pretty impressed with us, Mio Fratello. After all, what would you say to a Pope who just like you hates on the Latin Mass and who's on his way to giving <laughs> communion to divorced Catholics and who's embraced the one hundred sixty million Catholics? charismatics you probably would have called Montanist heretics and who also agrees with you that we totally shouldn't execute heretics anymore because we all started believing in religious freedom in the 1960s which was also when we decided that people who don't believe in Jesus at all can totally go to heaven and remember how you wanted to start a crusade against the invading Muslims well guess what just like you this book also believes that Muslims totally worship the same God as us and that theirs is a religion of peace so what would you say to that Pope I say I'm a gonna cut off a he's a head why you ask? Oh, uh, no reason. <laughs> and and what, I love, what I love about that video is how that ends with, yeah. And it has the Roman Catholic Church changed since the Reformation, maybe more than anything, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, well, Pastor Michael, this has been Reformation Day. This has been a Reformation Day extravaganza. There's almost nothing better than the joy of sharing this Reformation Day with you and our listeners. This has been a blast. We love you all. And because of that, we're going to give away one more thing. We're not That's done right. with the giveaways. We've got uh, one last giveaway. We've got a size medium gray Ecclesiology Matters shirt. I don't think it's a lot different than the ones we now have in the store, but it was an early edition that we could test. I think it was the, actually the very first one ever printed and a bunch of stickers. And that is not gonna go to whoever does the first review or first tags us in social media or anything like that that we've done before. We've done a lot of the firsts. This is gonna go to one of anyone who for the next, let's say couple of weeks or any time that they've heard, I just know that not everybody listens to this at the same time, so I know it's gonna be different. But when you hear this, it's probably still good to go unless it's like years later and you just found the podcast, in which case, shout out to you guys. Welcome to 2022 Reformation Day. But, That's right. Uh, this is going to go to somebody who shares this episode and in sharing it, talks again about, uh, you know, something that they're thankful for in the Reformation or something that they're thankful for from the Restless Podcast tag us in it otherwise we won't know that you did it um and if you don't tag us in it you can just let us know that you did it and point us in that direction whatever works uh, but everybody who does that everybody who we see does that will be entered to win this and we will reach out to somebody in a couple of weeks and let you know that you're the one that got it uh, but that way everybody has a chance everybody who's listening right now has a chance to win this shirt and a bunch of stickers and there's more you need to come back when we're doing our final recap episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, because we will have what will be, I believe our largest giveaway ever in the history of the restless podcast. So you'll want to be back for that too. 
which passed from Michael. It feels like it might even be next week, so I don't know what we're going to do. We might need to put it off a week just to get us, give us a chance to breathe. But we hope you've enjoyed two basically full episodes of Restless this week, doing everything Reformation Day, from beer to Calvinism to arguing with Lutherans. What what more could we give you this Reformation Day after two years of Restless? If you're listening, we are thankful for you listening. If you've talked to us, if we've met you online, if we've met you in person because of this show, what an awesome thing. We are thankful for this opportunity that's just came to us. So thank you if you've rated and reviewed the show. If you haven't, there's still time to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast catcher. We do hope you will enter God's gates with praise with the saints in a biblical, healthy, Reform Church this week.